Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to the 150th episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Coming up this week, we have an update on UK GDPR and whether it will or will not be granted adequacy status by the EU before the deadline on the 30th of June this year. We then return to the NHS data grab controversy and we have an update with some statements from Matt Hancock, the health secretary here in the UK. Remaining in the UK, we then travel across to the UK High Court where the High Court has defined the responsibilities of EU and UK GDPR representatives. We then travel across to Germany where a Labour court in Saxony has made a ruling on the release of employee emails following a data subject access request to an employer by an employee. We then look at have you committed a data breach by leaving personal data in your car. We then travel to India, where there's been a data breach at Technisanct. And then finally this week, we travel to Abu Dhabi, where Abu Dhabi has adopted GDPR-compatible data protection legislation. So as always, a mixed range of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, we can't always respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay in. Stay safe. We begin this week with an update on the EU adequacy decision for the UK with regards to GDPR. Regular listeners will know that the transition period, which was granted when the UK left the EU in Brexit, expires in just three days' time on the 30th of June 2021. That itself in an extension from an original planned date of the 30th of April 2021. So just where are we at? Well, despite one press outlet jumping the gun... The EU has not yet formally given an adequacy decision regarding UK GDPR. So as it stands at this moment, as we go to broadcast, from the 1st of July, the UK will cease to be an adequate country as far as GDPR is concerned and will become a third country which will require the input of standard contractual clauses into any data processing contract which involves the transfer of data into or out of the UK. However, always not lost because back on the 17th of June, the EU Commission voted to accept the adequacy of the UK GDPR, as far as GDPR standards are concerned. And all that now needs to happen is that that decision finally needs to be ratified and accepted and lodged by the Commission. Now that sounds really simple, but we know in the world of the EU nothing is that simple. And so it is still dependent on all of that happening, all the remaining stages happening, before midnight on the 30th of June. If it slips beyond that, even by 24 hours, then we'll have a period when the UK is not an adequate country as far as GDPR is concerned. And that's a scary prospect, I think it's fair to say, for most people involved in GDPR in the UK because it's going to involve an enormous amount of work if we're not declared adequate. However, I would stress to everyone, don't jump the gun. Don't start putting standard contractual clauses into your contracts just yet. Because we all know that the EU loves to play Strasbourg syndrome and not finally confirm something until the very possible last minute that it has to do it. 
So what are the remaining concerns? Well, one concern is that the EU Parliament passed a resolution asking the EU Commission to modify its draft decision on whether or not UK data protection was adequate because the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, had indicated that it considers that UK bulk access practices, onward transfers and international agreements need to be clarified further. The resolution states that if the implementing decisions are adopted without changes, national data protection authorities should suspend transfers of personal data to the UK if there is any chance of indiscriminate access to personal data. The resolution states that the UK's basic data protection framework is similar to that of the EU, but raises concerns about implementation. The main thing that members of the European Parliament have been concerned about is that the UK's regime contains exemptions for national security and immigration, and current UK legislation already allows for bulk data to be accessed and retained without a person being under suspicion of perpetrating a crime, and the EU court has found indiscriminate access to be inconsistent with the principles of GDPR. In addition, the resolution states that provisions on metadata do not reflect the sensitive nature of such data and are therefore misleading. However, the resolution does welcome recent changes in the UK, providing citizens access to judicial redress on data decisions and detailed oversight reports for data interceptions on national security grounds. The resolution goes on to note that the UK's data sharing agreements with the US mean that EU citizens' data could be shared across the Atlantic despite the Central European Court's rulings in SREMS 1 and SREMS 2. Further, the UK's application to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, the CPTPP, could also have implications on data flow to countries that don't have an adequate decision from the EU. So, will it, won't it? We'd like to think that it will all go through. Indications and soundings that we've had from people within the EU Commission have been very positive. However, we can never take anything as read, so please do watch the press during the coming week. And of course, whatever the decision is, whether it is for adequacy or against, we will be sure to cover it here in next week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you can't wait until next week, then please do also consider listening to our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, which is every Thursday at 4pm British Summertime. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll know that back in episodes 145 and 148, we've covered the data grab by NHS England, which is seeking to gather data from GP surgeries in England and collate them into one national NHS database so that trends can be spotted and doing this by anonymising the data as far as is possible. Well, this week, the House Secretary, Matt Hancock, has stepped into the fray, and Matt Hancock, of course, has found himself in the UK press for a totally different reason this week, of allegedly having an affair with one of his aides during lockdown. But leaving that to one side, back to the NHS data issue, Matt Hancock says that NHS patients in England will get greater control over their health and social care data under plans set out by the government. It means people will be able to access their medical records from different parts of the NHS through various apps. However, critics are worried that the data could be misused and the system has not been properly explained to patients. In defending the plan, Matt Hancock said more effective use of data would deliver better patient care. The Department of Health and Social Care said that improving data collection would mean staff spent less time looking for information and more time treating patients. Patients will be able to manage appointments, refill medications and speak with health staff when needed via app, it said. It's understood that the current NHS app has been downloaded over 2 million times. 
Matt Hancock said, The pandemic has taught us we must be bold and the great strides we've made on vaccines and treatments during this time have been made possible by the way we use data. Mr Hancock said that the use of dexamethasone to treat COVID had been discovered thanks to the use of data within the NHS and had gone on to save over a million lives around the world. The goal here and what I'm determined to do is to have trusted research environments which protect people's privacy whilst also allowing us to get insights out of the data which saves lives, he said on BBC Radio 4's Today programme. However, there's still some criticism. Corey Trider, co-founder of Fox Club, which campaigns to stop abuse of digital technology, said the government took a collect-it-all-first-and-ask-questions-later approach when it came to GP's data and said the strategy included potential commercial use of information. Corey also appeared on the BBC Radio 4 Today programme and said that GP data was possibly the most valuable set of health information in the world and called for the department to send a consent form to individuals offering them a chance to opt out. Mr Hancock said he thought consent should be at the heart of the strategy and believed the vast majority of people would be willing to share their data if there was a strong mission and purpose behind what the data would be used for. Of course, the deadline for opting out has been extended now to September. And so if you wish to opt out, please contact your local GP surgery and they will be able to provide you with the necessary form and information on how you can withdraw your consent to your data being included in this central NHS database. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another story we've been covering regularly here on the GDPR Weekly Show is the need to appoint an EU agent if you're based in the UK and have clients in the EU but no permanent place of business in the EU. And likewise, the same is true in the other direction. If you're based in the EU and but you've got clients in the UK but you have no permanent place of business in the UK, then you need to appoint a UK agent. A recent case in the UK High Court, the case of Rondon versus LexisNexis, Risk Solutions UK Limited, confirms that a GDPR representative cannot be sued in the UK for its controller's alleged failure to comply with UK GDPR. In this particular case, an individual issued proceedings in the UK against the UK-based data analytics business, LexisNexis Risk Solutions, which had been appointed representative for a US-based company that has a function of its activities it undertakes in the EU and UK, was required to appoint a representative in the UK. The representative was sued in the UK by an individual and was successful in having the claim against it struck out, on the basis the representative was not liable to the individual for the controller's alleged breaches of GDPR. The English High Court considered the recitals of GDPR, the scope of the obligations set out in the operative provisions of GDPR, the guidelines from the EDPB from March 2018, as well as correspondence between the parties and the ICO. The judge carefully examined the policy framework and rationale for the Article 27 requirement, noting that the appointment of a representative is an important signal that the controller is engaging with GDPR. While the judge was not willing to impose liability on the representative for the controller's alleged breach, he did make some interesting comments on the representative's role. He noted that the picture which emerges is of a considerably fuller role than a mere postbox to be addressed. Even the language of conduit or liaison does not fully capture the job the GDPR gives to EU representatives, or indeed UK representatives, of course. The role is an enriched one, active rather than passive. At its core is a bespoke suite of directly imposed functions. These are crafted to fit together with the relationships between the controller, the ICO and the data subject. The job focuses on providing local transparency and availability to data subjects and local regulatory cooperation. 
and the appointment is of course an opportunity for foreign control representatives representatives any other ambassadorial, shop window or customer facing functions additional to the tour mandate functions as they consider desirable demonstrations of their compliance credentials. The judge noted that the overall scheme of GDPR was silent as to enforcement against a representative, with no mention made in Article 82 about representatives being liable to compensate data subjects as controllers and processors are. Allied to this, the EDPB guidelines from March 2018 make clear that appointment of a representative does not affect the responsibility and liability of a controller or processor, and that GDPR does not establish a substitutive liability of the representative in place of the controller or the processor he or she is representing. The ICO also responded to the parties in this dispute, confirming its view that the representative's role is limited to that of the conduit of communication between the overseas entity and the ICO or the relevant data subjects. The UK Data Protection Act 2018 is also silent as to the ability of the ICO to issue enforcement notices on representatives, indicating no intention for representatives to shoulder liability. This decision, which comes on the back of the Dutch Data Protection Authority's decision, which we covered in the previous episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, provides helpful clarity about the responsibilities a party will and will not be taking on when acting as a GDPR representative. From our perspective, we think this case sets a really interesting legal precedent and does serve to clarify some of the vague areas of EU and UK representatives' responsibilities as defined in GDPR and the EDPB briefing note from March 2018. We will doubtless return to this subject in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. An interesting ruling this week from the Lower Saxony State Labour Court in Germany. The court was considering the issue of whether when an employee made a request as a data subject to their employer for all the information that the employer held about them, did that extend to every email sent or received by that employee or indeed any other email which mentioned that employee by name? Well, the Lower Saxony State Labour Court has found that, in their opinion, GDPR does not extend to providing employees with copies of email correspondence or other emails that mention the data subject by name. The court did not consider the email correspondence to be personal data within the meaning of Article 15 of GDPR, because that article refers to data that is, quotes, the main subject of processing, quotes, i.e. that provides a certain degree of information about the data subject. Then looking at Recital 63 to the GDPR, the data controller, here, the employer, may request a specification of the requested information or posting operations by the data subject, here, the employee, if large amounts of information about the data subject are being processed. According to the Labour Court, the employee's request was not sufficiently specific and the employer did not have to make copies indiscriminately. In addition, the right to information is limited to such documents that are not already available to a person requesting information. In this case, the employee was already aware of his or her own email correspondence and for that reason alone was not entitled to be provided with copies. The Federal Labour Court rejected the employee's appeal as inadmissible Notably, the decision was based on purely procedural reasons, as the claim was not sufficiently specific under the German Code of Civil Procedure. The highest Labour Court therefore did not provide a comprehensive clarification regarding the full scope of claims for data copies. The Federal Labour Court nevertheless 
clarified that a request that merely repeats the wording of GDPR does not comply with the principle of certainty from Section 2532 of the German Code of Civil Procedure. Documents such as emails for which copies are to be provided must be designated in a request to so precisely that in any enforcement proceedings may be required. It is beyond doubt as to which specific documents the obligation to provide information relates. In the event that such a specific request cannot yet be made, because, for example, it's unclear which specific documents the employer holds, the request can be asserted in court by way of a step-by-step action pursuant to Section 254. In such a case, the employee must first assert a claim for information and then formulate a concrete request for surrender once the information has been provided. Because of this, employers still cannot cite to this Labour Court ruling on the scope of restriction of the right to information under applicable data protection regulations. Against this background, employers may want to draft restrictions on the right to information in compliance with the legal requirements of GDPR. In this regard, GDPR offers some leeway for drafting. Employers might therefore want to not take information claims lightly, but actively shape the context for those requests. Employers may also want to keep in mind that emails may contain personal data of third parties to which an employee is not entitled, and therefore, of course, that information would need to be redacted before the emails are provided to the employee. Now, this is very specific. It's a labour court in Germany, and so although it is a interesting ruling, it's not necessarily going to have any bearing on any cases that appear here in the UK. But it does perhaps mean that if you are a data subject or you're advising a data subject on making an access request of their employer about emails, then you do need to try and be as specific as you can in that request as to what emails you are asking to be revealed. So, for instance, if it was an employee who has been dismissed following a disciplinary procedure, then you might well ask for all the emails related to that disciplinary procedure. And I think that would be acceptable. But what this ruling is saying is you couldn't simply say, we want all the emails since that employee started working for you, or indeed all the emails since the 25th of May 2018. If we get any update from the European Data Protection Board on this court ruling, then we will bring it to you in the future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Some interesting points were raised by a company called Privacy for Cars this week about whether data left in a vehicle after you dispose of that vehicle, so let's suppose that you've either had a car on lease as a company, you've had one of your employees drive the car, and then you've now returned it under the lease, or indeed it might just be that you've hired a car to use your business, and then you've returned the car to the hire company. Does the presence of any data in that vehicle, personally identifiable data in that vehicle, constitute a data breach and their feeling was that it does and we'd have to say that our view is that probably they're right and that it probably does constitute a data breach. So the example they gave was in the situation where a car had been driven by a driver who connected his mobile phone to the car via Bluetooth and the car was then storing the person's browser history, the last photos they'd taken, their calendar entries, their emails a surprising amount of data on top of just their contact list, which is what you might think would be transferred. Andrea Amico, the CEO of Privacy for Cars, said the problem is if you have the car keys, the cars think you are the owner and you can get access to everything. This is particularly concerning for consumers, but also for businesses, because this information is regulated, especially in Europe, of course, under GDPR. 
The European Data Protection Board, which is the EU agent which deals with GDPR and other privacy laws, issued a set of guidelines on how GDPR and privacy applies to vehicles. They clearly spell out you cannot leave this data in cars because that constitutes a GDPR data breach. So Privacy for Cars have developed a software development kit, an SDK, a small piece of code that anyone can put inside their own application. So if you're a car sharing program, for instance, you can offer the functionality without having to write any code yourself. Andrea pointed out that a particular cause for concern was vehicle rental companies. He said, imagine you're a car rental company and you have 100,000 to 200,000 cars that are coming back every day across the world. Even if removing personal data only took you a minute in each one, you're talking about 200,000 minutes of work hours that you didn't have to do before. And hence, that's why rental companies to date have been reluctant to do it. Now, we've not had a chance to look at Privacy for Cars software ourselves yet, so we're not making any recommendation of that individual product. But we think it does raise a very interesting point about a potential data breach, which is probably happening every day, hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, right across the UK, and certainly thousands of times across Europe. And so it's something we will return to and look at more closely in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To India now, and information pertaining to more than 3.4 million customers stands compromised following a serious data breach in the online trading platform Technisank. The customer's data was put up for sale on a data sharing platform on June 15th, and the incident has been reported to the Computer Emergency Response Team. The founder and CEO of Technisank said that such incidents raised the possibilities of financial frauds among Indian residents. He said the details in the database could be used by cyber criminals to target the victims of the data breach through various scams via online and telephone. The lack of a data security authority in India has resulted in a massive increase in the number of such cases. Even while breaches are identified, non-existence of a regulatory body paves the way to repeated breaches with the same brand, he said. The leaked data is understood to include personally identifiable information such as name, customer ID, contact number, email ID, trade login ID, branch ID, city and country. If we receive any update on this, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We thought we'd also take a look this week at the Abu Dhabi Global Market Data Protection Regulation, DPR 2021 which bears a striking resemblance to EU GDPR and UK GDPR. The previous legislation was based on the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development Guidelines, the OECD, which was significantly different from GDPR. What this means for companies operating in the Abu Dhabi global markets is that major changes are afoot. It's understood that companies already established in Abu Dhabi will have 12 months to become compliant with the new law, but new companies will only have 6 months. So what does this mean for companies based in the Abu Dhabi global markets or planning on setting up there? Several key factors that were not included in the previous data privacy requirements now stand out. These include accountability and governance. A major area of focus is introduction of accountability and governance, particularly for data controllers. Data controllers will now be asked to prove that they have appropriate controls in place across the organisation to demonstrate that data privacy is taken seriously. This includes a mandate to appoint a data privacy officer, a DPO, which may be an employee or an outsourced expert. Companies will also be required to conduct and document data privacy impact assessments, DPIAs, 
keep a record of processing activities and provide documentation of data subject access requests. Cross-border data transfers will also be regulated and for the first time, companies will have the option of governing data transfers via binding corporate rules. Additional governance controls mandated in the new Privacy Act are data privacy policies, employee contracts, employee awareness and training, evidence that privacy by default and privacy by design are embedded in the company, documented evidence of security standards and protocols, and vendor due diligence. These major requirements are only in place for companies with more than five employees. However, the vast majority of companies in the area will be required to still adhere to the new standards. The scope of the application of the law has also changed. The new Act applies to any company established in the Abu Dhabi global markets or to data processors processing data either in the Abu Dhabi global markets or on behalf of an Abu Dhabi global markets data controller, regardless of whether the processor is in the Abu Dhabi global markets or not. The scope of the law is also applicable to any natural legal person, regardless of location or nationality. The Act, again very similar to GDPR, introduces a new right for data subjects not to be subject to automated processing or profiling. And of course this is particularly relevant in Abu Dhabi, which has created a thriving financial hub and actively champions the development of a sustainable and vibrant fintech ecosystem. The controller must also, on request, provide a copy of the data subjects data to them in a concise, transparent, intelligible and easily accessible form in writing electronically or, interestingly, verbally. Now, of course, verbally is not a valid concept of providing data under GDPR for a data subject access request. Again, similar to GDPR, the Act introduces the idea of data portability. Data subjects will now have the right to transfer their data to a third party. This will require companies to transfer data on request from the data subject in a standard machine-readable format, typically either CSV or XML, to another controller who may well be a direct competitor. One difference between GDPR and the new legislation in Abu Dhabi is that the new legislation there allows for two months for responding to a data subject access request, with potential of a further one month's extension under certain circumstances. Again, similar to GDPR, the new act centers on consent, and it says that consent now needs to be a freely given, specific, informed and unambiguous indication of the data subject's wishes through a clear affirmative action. Pre-tick boxes or inactivity no longer constitute consent, and to be informed, the data subject should be aware of the identity of the controller and the purposes for which it is intended that their data will be processed. The controller must also be able to demonstrate that the data subject has consented and maintain a register of that valid consent. Again, borrowed from GDPR, the data subject now also has the right to withdraw their consent at any time, and it must be as easy to withdraw consent as it is to give consent. Again, similar to GDPR, it also allows alternate lawful basis for processing personal data, i.e. performance of a contract or the controller's legitimate interest. Where the new Act is interesting as well is in the area of international transfers of data. In a nutshell, the regulations are saying that any country that's deemed adequate for GDPR is adequate for is adequate for this new Act from Abu Dhabi. However, it should be noted that the United Arab Emirates mainland and other free zones are not considered adequate jurisdictions, so data transfers to those will need to be handled with care. All data controllers and processors will need to register with the ADGM Office of Data Protection and pay the relevant fee. Companies are also required to engage with the regulator whenever a data protection impact assessment reveals a high risk to the rights of the data subject or if sensitive data is being processed. Again, just like GDPR, there's a requirement to notify any data breach within 72 hours of it being discovered. 
The new act, DPR 2021, has a maximum fine of 28 million US dollars for each breach of the regulations. This is significantly higher than the 120,000 US dollars currently available under Abu Dhabi law. So some interesting challenges there to come for companies in Abu Dhabi. And if you are based in Abu Dhabi and you'd like our help with becoming compliant with the new laws, then please do get in touch with us via the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.